Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode number 35 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is a show where two nerds talk about the Sci-Fi Channel's long-running hit franchise, Stargate. Tonight it's open line night. David and I are putting up our shoes and riffing. This is the second time we've done open line night, and the first time we called it the show about nothing, but you know, I think it's more like it's the show about everything. Everything. (laughs) A little bit of this and a little bit of that. A lot of Stargate, maybe a little bit of not Stargate. Because we do watch other things, especially between February and October this year. Let's be fair, we can't expect our listeners to watch all the exact same things that we watch. They're here to have us talk about Stargate. So, should we talk about Stargate? Let's. First, we've got some Stargate news. It's been a pretty big news week for Stargate. The first teaser trailer for Stargate Universe ran last Friday night, and we also have the first look at the cast. Instead of doing an interview preview this week, we're going to play the SGU teaser itself. It's 30 seconds long. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for March 24th, 2009. Stargate Universe actor Robert Carlyle, who plays Dr. Nicholas Rush on the new show, appeared at the Sci-Fi Channel's Media Upfront event. This is where they uh, basically roll out their new their new brand name, Sci-Fi, and their new programming to uh, potential advertisers, and they have some, some stars of the new shows uh, there to talk. And Robert Carlyle was there and gave some interviews, talked about Stargate Universe for... The first time, I think, on record. Is this the first time, or have we heard Carlisle talk before? I maybe, maybe once early on, but otherwise, I don't think so. So here's a little bit of of, uh, what he said, and these quotes specifically are on uh, io9.com, but there's uh, several other sites out there. Sci-Fi Wire, uh, the Sci-Fi Channel's news site, uh, has also posted some. Uh, But... Robert Carlyle says a couple of interesting things that I want to talk about. First is, he says that uh, obviously the show is a lot darker than the previous incarnations of Stargate, which we've heard a lot from the producers. Um, But he said, this has less to do with interaction with an alien race and more about survival on the ship itself. Again, it's kind of that that Battlestar Galactica vibe where there are no aliens. There's nobody with a rubber face or a bumpy forehead or... A symbiote in their head necessarily at least in Battlestar Galactica we know that in Stargate Universe they're not getting rid of aliens entirely um, but Robert is, is saying that it, it has more to do with the interaction of the people on the ship and their survival I was hoping that the higher production budget for Stargate Universe meant that a lot of that was going to go into the Jim Henson stuff the costume and makeup department not necessarily doing the Jim Henson stuff like we saw uh, animatronic stuff on Farscape but you know, more more of the prosthetic aliens, like the Serakin that we've seen on SG-1. But wouldn't animatronics be an interesting direction to go in besides just a little gray butt? Oh, yeah. Don't you think it's overdue for that? Yeah. Or do you th- think that that's really not Stargate? Well, whether you do it by animatronics or, or you know, puppets, we've got a lot of years of experience of, of Asgard puppetry. Mm-hmm. Um However you end up doing it, I think that, that that is Stargate. It can be Stargate. People that don't just look like humans. And the other thing that Robert Carlyle has said in these interviews is that uh, no one was ever meant to be on board this ship, the Destiny. And it's not quite clear if he's talking about our guys were not meant to be there, they get there by accident, or if he means that when the Ancients built it and sent it out, 
it was always intended to be unmanned. Um, the latter is not the impression that I've gotten from Brad and Rob, the show's creators. So I think it's mm-hmm. more like our team was not supposed to be there. Uh, and the ship is super duper old, and it's it's falling apart. Well, look at the teaser trailer, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But Carlisle appears pretty shocked that uh, that all these people are here, and he looks like he's been there for a while. The first season of Stargate SG One is now on Hulu as part of their ongoing efforts to take over the world. So we definitely saw this one coming. All of you who can run Hulu, I hate your guts. Um, I'm looking forward to running Hulu one of these days whenever I have a place that handles it. (laughs) David and his poor internet connection. Yeah, considering I'm the multimedia designer for this website, you better say that. This is the great thing about... uh about being in school where I'm at, it sucks because our cable service doesn't get Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, so I have to pay iTunes to watch Stargate, but our internet connection is fantastic. The first season of SG-1 is on Hulu right now, 21 episodes, if you count the that pilot as, as one episode, two hours. And uh, what Hulu said is they're going to add more over the course of the year. They're talking about using it as basically a, a countdown to the Stargate Universe launch in the fall. So, I don't know, we may get a season about every month or so. You think it's it's going to be timed so that uh, that happens? That'd be cool. What about Atlantis? Atlantis? We don't know. They have not said anything specific. Season 5 is up right now, and, and I think they've said that they're adding additional seasons later. Actually, no, they did say. They said that it's coming down in May. So it's not we're not going to get to a point where you can watch all 300 and some episodes of the Stargate franchise on Hulu. No, they're going to have a season it's... up for a few months, and they're going to take it down and put up another season. So enjoy season one while you can. That's the idea. The idea is to keep you coming back for more and more and for you to watch content up there while... I mean, theoretically, I, I don't know. Does it tell you when this file is going to be taken down? Uh, for the new episodes, they do. Uh, for for go. shows that are airing right now, like Battlestar, they say this this episode expires in five days. Well, there you go. Then it's your job to watch it before then. Yeah, Hulu really is used for promotion. It's not it's not intended to replace your DVD collection. And it's not a repository like the YouTube Nation. And this last week, Entertainment Weekly published the very first cast photo from Stargate Universe, and we got it a few hours later. There's a high-res copy on GateWorld right now in the image gallery, uh, and this this is uh, the the first shot of the cast is the cast. This is this is uh, Justin and David and Brian and Blue and Elise and all these people uh, as themselves. They're not in costume. They're not their characters in this shot. It's a great shot of them. It really is. It's, it's a great beginning shot, and I'm glad that we have it. Uh, this early on, you know, and without without them in their armor and in their outfits and their wardrobe and things like that. I must point out, though, Michael Osiello uh, said, study the picture, discuss it, share it with friends, and then try to connect the names with the faces, because I don't have the time to do that whole left, right, front row, back row thing. <laughs> they got the exclusive on this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's a fine line from being sly to being an asshole, but... When you get an exclusive, be gracious. Well, I said to you, and I'll say it again here, it's, I think that that little, little comment is symptomatic of the fact that the, the press tends to not take Stargate very seriously, and that's something that obviously sci-fi and MGM are very much trying to change. For Stargate Universe, you know, Galactica's gone, and sure, Caprica's coming, but we want Stargate Universe to be the 
flagship show for for Sci-Fi Channel again. And yeah, well, Stargate has been around for 13 years. That attitude had better be gone very soon. Well, yeah, Stargate Universe is going to have to impress people like Michael Osiello. It's it's going to have to cause those guys who basically I think wrote off Stargate uh, largely over the course of the last five years or so. Uh, cause them to sit up and take notice and say, wow, they're doing something different and this is really interesting. Well, maybe I'm missing the, the, the type of, of press that EW gives, but I thought you weren't supposed to show your ass when you get an exclusive. There was no reason that he needed to be a butthole. Well, yeah, and it's it's obviously we as Stargate fans are going to take that personally. How else were we supposed to take it? He didn't just say it to say it. If that was Battlestar Galactica, I don't think he would have said that. No, no, because he loves Battlestar Galactica, and that's exactly my point. He doesn't love Stargate, and I'm hoping that he's going to discover that Stargate Universe is a show worth following. Because he's got his, you know, everybody who covers television has their favorite shows that they love to cover. And this, I would guess, is the sort of thing where the photo showed up in his inbox, and it was an exclusive to EW, so... Okay, here it is. It's it's one of the news items for the day. Got to get it up and then move on to the other things that he'd rather spend his time on. I appreciate that, but if you can't say something nice, then don't say it. Yep. In addition to the picture of the cast during Battlestar Galactica's series finale, the first SGU teaser aired. It's labeled Frantic. It is 30 seconds long, and Frantic just about sums it up. So here it is. Give it a listen. We're not supposed to be here. There is not a chance in hell we're going to be able to escape this. We're all going to die out here. What was that? Who was that? These are the wrong people in the wrong place. And if you want to watch the full teaser, which I highly recommend, there's some very cool visuals in here. This was meant to be watched. It's uh, it's up on GateWorld right now. There were some shots of it that reminded me a lot of Cloverfield when the camera is on the rooftop and they're, and they're going through the stairwell down to the city street and it's cutting in and out and the voice is cutting in and out and the screaming is cutting in and out. Coupled that with the Poseidon adventure. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of feeling of that from people sliding back and forth. And uh, it's certainly exciting. Yeah, and it, it it did not detract from my interest in it at all. I got that that Battlestar meets Cloverfield vibe, the gritty realism of Battlestar mixed with the 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 handheld documentary feel of of how Cloverfield was shot. Yeah. But then the punctuation at the end of this is this really quick flash of the Stargate, mm-hmm. and it suddenly just in a in a moment, uh, you look through the trailer and and that. Stargate's on the screen for literally like three frames. Yeah, it's you like you get an the feeling of a like yeah, it's okay. Wow, this is Stargate. Mm-hmm. And it's some Stargate man. Looks yeah. really cool. It's iconic for the series. It needs to be there. It does. It really does. I'm happy about that. They made sure that the set was nice and dark so that we didn't see much of anything. It was much more about the faces. Mm-hmm. of the show, including the Stargate being a face as well, mm-hmm. and the, mo- the most captivating of all. Props, guys, keep on going. I yep. want to see more. The main discussion. We got uh, lots of people posted on the forum, and this time, instead of writing you a big, huge file of notes for our spontaneous conversation, I decided that I would actually 
avoid reading everybody's posts this week and we would be spontaneous be spontaneous and see what people have to say and it's it's kind of live they don't get to call in because we're recording but uh, we've got people posting on the forum and we've got some voicemails to get to but before we do that um david mr reed what do you want to talk about you know the studios exert a great deal of effort getting us to watch their show live Gate World obviously encourages users to watch it live. When we uh, when we have a new episode coming up, we have a little block that says episode title, time tonight, watch it live. We did that in our in our pushing of the show because networks and advertisers over the course of the last couple of years, as TiVo and other DVR services have been gobbling up more and more households, we did it because. Uh, Advertisers and networks were not catching up very quickly. They're they're behind the curve, behind the eight ball in determining ratings and then whether or not a show should be renewed. So for the course of the last couple of years, it's really been we need to get those live broadcast numbers up. So am I less of a fan than average Joe Cheeto um, who no, watches the show the live? Least. And I love, love DVR. DVR changed my life. And it's, again, it's one of those things that I can't use here, and I miss it. I don't think you're less of a fan in the slightest. I would watch everything time-shifted. When we were using TiVo, uh, we would deliberately start shows 15 minutes late so that we could fast-forward mm-hmm. through commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, that works fine, because if you're if you're a Nielsen family and you're counted for the ratings, you still get counted for that yeah. that night's broadcast. It's Yeah. It's you know if you watch it that night sometime, uh, you'll get part of those of those live viewing numbers. I think it's like by three a.m. if you've watched the show, you're counted as part of the live numbers. We were pushing watch it live because those were the numbers that advertisers cared about and that Sci-Fi was counting, um, much much more so than the the delayed viewing numbers. So you know people not watching it live means the show doesn't do as well in the ratings and is under threat of cancellation. I'm still trying to get used to this expression of time shifting and mm-hmm. I didn't realize until recently that it had gone back at least as far as the birth of the VCR and it's yep. still it's still fuzzy with me in terms of time shifting we're shifting time no you're just shifting your it's viewing shifting is what it is you know it's not time it's not shifting the flow of time at all well it's shifting the time at which you watch the show the the companion right. to time shifting is place shifting if you have technology like Slingbox, which allows you to watch your television, your cable box, somewhere else in the world. I refuse to watch programming as it airs, and I'm, yeah, I mean, well, kill, kill me for it. I mean, Lost, I, I, am all, I stay at least a year behind Lost, because mm-hmm. I like to be able to watch it when I want to watch it. It's very, Lost is a serialized show. That's the nature of it, and I don't like being kept waiting. Lost is notorious for making you sit on the edge of your seat and go, what the f***? You know, I just don't, I don't like to play their game. I don't like to play their game. We as television viewers have been beholden to watching the shows when and how the networks want us to watch since the beginning of television. Uh, and when I got my first TiVo, it, it fundamentally changed the way that, that I enjoyed entertainment because suddenly everything was on my schedule. It's clearly going to continue to evolve. 
Yeah, and it is evolving. I think that that networks and advertisers are eventually catching up because because time shifting is so huge now. I mean, they recognize it, and they recognize when they get the the time shifted data three weeks later uh, for people who watch the show within the entire week following its broadcast that those numbers are significant. Yeah, people can fast forward through commercials, but you know, to a degree, with with VCRs, they've always been able to do that. So. It's kind of a wash. Hi guys, my name is Jeremy Heiner from Hillsborough, Oregon, and I'm calling in regards to the open line night. Um, this is sort of un Stargate related, but I know you guys are both fans of Battlestar Galactica. So if you would take a moment to talk about the series finale of Battlestar Galactica, tell me what you guys think. I personally loved it. Well, Jeremy, neither of us have seen it yet. We're uh, recording a little bit earlier than we usually do. So by the time this podcast goes up, we certainly will have seen it. But uh, So instead, let's talk about what are your expectations. Truth of the Opera House. Must know Truth of Opera House. Must mm-hmm. see large-scale base star explosions. Must see things go boom. Must see things go boom. Bada-boom. Would you like to see the Galactica go boom? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I expect her to be destroyed. Uh, I frankly anticipate something akin to... I mean, we don't know how big Cavill's fleet is, his base mm-hmm. star fleet, but I expect the Galactica do, to do something like jump into a star and destroy this, the the entire legion of base stars simultaneously by doing that because they are severely outgunned and they just can't win. As excited as I am about this series finale, I kind of, a big part of me just wants it to be over. I think because season four and especially these, these last, this last back half of season four has been really kind of an emotional grind. It's been very dark and disturbing, and I feel, you know, I've said it before, I don't really enjoy watching some of those episodes because they're dark and they don't end in a happy place. And I expect the series finale to end in a whole lot of happy places. Resolution. You're looking for resolution. resolution. And I still want to see the Ship of Lights aliens, but I think it may be too late. Which of the characters on... uh... Stargate Universe, are you most looking forward to watching? Based on the pictures of, of them that we've seen and the breakdowns on each of the characters. That's tough. We know relatively little about these guys. I'm I'm interested definitely in Dr. Rush, Robert mm-hmm. Carlyle's character, uh, because he's described as kind of Machiavellian and, and being a, a, the project leader, but having his own secret hidden agenda. Uh, and I've seen a lot of people compare him to, to Baltar, which is, I think, probably partially true. I think Eli Wallace is going to be a runaway fan favorite, ultimately. Really? Yeah. I'm kind of nervous about Eli Wallace, because he was described in the casting documents as a slacker genius. Yeah. Who's brilliant with everything technology-related, and that sort of a character has been done so many times. Well, you know what? When Rodney McKay was introduced in Season 5 as this nervous wreck and I remember Atlantis being started uh, and reading that Hewlett was going to be on there I remember some fans saying this is a disaster the actor is great but the character is a train wreck Mm. and arguably he turned into the most popular character on that show when I go to the creation conventions when Joe Flanagan was on stage, people would go nuts, of course. But when when David Hewlett was backstage, I have never seen so many fangirls approach the black velvet curtains 
mm-hmm. holding up pictures of David Hewlett in one hand and a Sharpie in the other. It was mm-hmm. nuts, man. The Holy of Holies back there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think Rush and uh, I think also Chloe Armstrong I'm really interested in because she seems so out of place based on the character descriptions. Uh-huh. As the daughter of a senator who is a little bit stuck up maybe and and but but still smart and and confident and capable young woman i'm excited to see the sort of characters like that that we've never seen on stargate before i look at elena huffman and she i think you said it perfectly a few episodes ago she is striking Mm -hmm. she has striking features i think she looks like a young amanda tapping i hope that she acts as well as she looks and i bet she will the interesting thing that uh, has has been coming out a bit lately is is this idea that nobody is safe. Yes. And we've seen on Atlantis that eventually, you know, over the course of a few years, the writers have no problem with writing off a main cast member. But we've always gotten the sense that that was based on, you know, issues behind the scenes or, you know, network notes and concerned about this character and it's not working out. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, other concerns behind off-camera concerns resulting in the deaths of major characters. In Stargate Universe, it's it's not that way. They're writing a dramatic character series, and nobody is safe. I think that Telford is going to get hammered very quickly. Like I said yeah. before, I think he's our Sumner. But, it's Lou Diamond um, Phillips' character. I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't get waxed at the end of the at the end of the premiere like like uh, Robert Patrick's character did in Atlantis. You know, you don't need to kill characters. You can make them go away. You can make them do something else and then come back later. They don't always have to die. Yeah, as long as you're going to bring them back. Exactly. And, you know, they say that it's going, that they're going to um, uh, kill characters. You know, it's going to happen. But it's stupid to do that if you're shooting yourself in the foot by killing someone who is an asset and a storytelling utility. You don't kill McKay. McKay serves a storytelling purpose. He is Mr. Exposition. You don't kill McKay. You don't kill Lauren. You can't kill Lauren. Lauren steps in when Shepard is doing something else. So Mm -hmm. Cavan was always pretty much safe. There are certain people that you can't kill. So if they're going to kill someone, hope that they kill them because they're not working out as a character. And that opens, as as awful as that sounds, it, it opens a chance, an opportunity, and a slot for someone who can work out to come in. Well, I disagree with that. I don't think that you should kill off a character just because they're not working out. I think that some of the best character deaths on television are characters that do work out and that just really work and people love. And obviously you're right. You've you've got to write scripts that have X amount of exposition, so you've got to have a McKay character. Um, but when you have an ensemble show, like they're, they're obviously making this one. In this cast shot, we've got nine people... Uh, and then I think that the, the the expanded group of supporting players is going to be much larger than it was on Atlantis. Your Lorns and your Zelenkas. We're going to have a lot more of those guys and girls. So, oh, I hope so. Um, I hope when you so. do a big ensemble show like this, you know, look at Lost. Lost does character deaths, I think, better than any show. And they started out with an ensemble of something like 14 main characters. What character on Lost didn't work out? Did not every, work out. Every character on Lost has worked out in one respect or another. And if yeah, they're and all they if they're all wonderful and rosy, 
then to knock them off, well, you know, I'll chalk it up to having to knock a character off every now and then because I know that someone equally wonderful is going to come in. When we lost Ana Lucia in season two, I was devastated. I loved mm -hmm. Ana Lucia. So, I loved Mr. Echo in season two, and I oh, was yeah. surprised that they bumped him off. So I think that's that's what you can do with an ensemble show. And it wouldn't surprise me if one of these nine was dead by the end of season one. But yeah. I will make a wager with you that the, that one of them will be dead before the end of the, the first episode. The, the air parts one through three? The end of air. I, I will make a wager with you that one of them will be dead before the end of air. I think it's very possible because Lou Diamond Phillips is such a big name actor that that they're not planning on bringing him back. So they may kill him. But uh, I sure hope they don't, because it's just for the fact of it may work great in the story, but just because it seems like a repetition of Robert Patrick in, in Rising. I will bet you $1 that someone will be off before the end of the pilot. All right. So the who's bet gonna, is on. The, the bet is on, that's right. You want to so bet let's... for a specific person, or you want to just say one of these nine? Well, how interesting do you want to make the stakes? <laughs> I will bet that before the end of the pilot... Lou Diamond Phillips' character of Telford will be dead. Okay, I'll take that bet. Okay, one dollar. By the end of Air Part 3... Hello, this is Chad from St. Paul. And first thing I'd like to bring up is a discussion on, basically, characters, different characters played by the same actor. Uh, an idea would be David McNally, who played Hanno in Korai Season 1, and he also played Simon in Demons of Season 3. I find it fun when they do this. I mean, it shows a different, same, same person, different character, and it's just fun. Thank you, Chad, for that call. Chad asks, uh, what do you think of reusing actors? SG-1's done it a lot. Uh, Atlantis has done it a lot. There's a, a finite acting pool in Vancouver, as I think we've talked about before. So let me also add to that. What do you think about reusing familiar faces on universe. If Garwin Sanford shows up again, is it going to upset people? It takes away from the realism, especially when you have recurring characters on a regular basis and then that recurring character is playing someone else, especially when that new that old recurring actor has to play a different character with that person and you have to tell your brain, "Okay, our character is not recognizing that this actor is a different character." So our our character is rec is not recognizing the similarities between the actors. Your your brain has to do kind of a number. It's another ball that your brain has to keep in the air. Suspension of disbelief. It's an extra suspension of disbelief. I think it comes down to the quality of the acting and the quality of the actor and the amount of prosthetics that are being used. That's true too. But if Garwin Sanford is going to come back and play a third human, maybe a more of a permanent fixture, maybe on the team on the Destiny. I'm okay with that. Garwin, we should say, was uh, Nareem the Tolan on SG-1 and was uh, Dr. Weir's boyfriend or maybe husband? Here's a good one. Optimus Chekhov says, I once heard that Ben Browder was originally meant to play Shepard, or at least the lead of Atlantis. Is this true? Do you think a Browder Shepard would change the show for the better or the worse? Um... To my knowledge, that is not true. Ben Browder with the role of Pete Shanahan, um, uh, Samantha Carter's love interest in seasons seven and eight, and he turned it down. Uh, I don't know about Shepard, though. I think that this comes from Joe's blog, and I don't remember 
Joe Malazzi, uh, the executive producer of SG-1 uh, and Atlantis. I don't remember exactly what he said, but that seems right in the back of my brain. So I guess you should go to Joe Malazzi's blog and search for Ben Browder. Hey guys, this is Heather from Ogden, Utah. I enjoyed your our Replicators Alive discussion, and I had a question for you about Replicators. I was wondering, would you like to see some form of them in Stargate Universe, or if you had enough of them? And also, I was just curious, are there any other aliens or alien technology that you would really like to see or that you really don't want to see in Stargate Universe? Heather asks if the replicators have been done to death or if you wouldn't mind seeing them in Stargate Universe. What do you think? <laughs> oh, man. It was kind of a uh, an issue when in Season 3 of Atlantis they brought them back after we thought they'd been completely wiped out. That we discovered that there were replicators living and had been living for 10,000 years in the Pegasus galaxy. And I think most people, I at least, was pretty excited about that concept and the way that that played into ancient history. If we bring the replicators into Stargate Universe as as a major enemy for a while, I think it's going to dangerously suggest that the producers of the show are a one-trick pony. Out of ideas. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that that is the case with them. I will be seriously disappointed if they bring the replicators in. The replicators have been around since season three of SG-1. Dudes, we need something new. We need something new. We need a new idea. You know what? I wouldn't mind like a single episode. I wouldn't mind like an episode, like a Reese episode in Menace that was tied to the mythology, but was self, mostly self-contained. One of my if... favorite episodes of Enterprise is Regeneration, uh-huh. which is a Borg episode. So yeah, absolutely. But don't make them a series enemy. And that's and it's reiterated. We are. It was recently reiterated to me. We are not going to have a series enemy, at least not at the start. So I cannot tell you how excited I am because of that. If there was one good episode where we came across a replicator, something, you know, like, um, I don't know, throw one through a wormhole, like like the two Ferengi who got lost in Next yeah, Generation the and then showed up in, in the Delta Quadrant in Voyager. Something like that where it's just one replicator, it's a one-off, it's a cool episode, and then it's, yeah, don't make them, don't make them if recurring. the story is cool... It's a single story that is cool. I'm putting in all these caveats, so write them down. (laughs) If it is a single story that is awesomely cool, yes, I I will watch it and I will enjoy Mm -hmm. it. And I will not spit on it beforehand. Only if it's awesome. Here's a topic from Red Hooks, who writes on the forum and says, uh, How about a discussion of the pros and cons of a serialized show versus an episodic-based show in the science fiction genre? My opinion is that today's sci-fi show should not follow the trek... Uh, original series and next generation model but should follow the model of Babylon 5 and the new BSG I think B5 is the best sci-fi show ever and I thought Atlantis would have benefited by being a serialized show because it would have pushed it away from the SG-1 formula of storytelling and might have brought in more viewers like me who were never interested in SG-1 before I completely agree I completely agree I think they were doing something with the begin- with the first half of season 4 that was legendary and um, then they quit, and they had really no interest in pursuing that e- any further. So I was disappointed in that regard. I thought yeah. they really had, were on to something, but it was kind of an experiment. Yeah, that arc went, um, I guess it went up to about Spoils of War, episode 12. Yeah. And then suddenly it became very episodic again. 
And the reasoning that I've I've seen uh, Joe Malazzi post on his blog is that the second half of the season was supposedly supposed to be much more about about Michael and the missing Athosians, but that doesn't come up until the last three episodes. Exactly. Red Hooks also uh, has a couple criticisms, which we love to hear. So there's two points Red Hooks is making here about uh, Gate World Podcast. First one, he says, uh, both of you, being Darren and David, are clearly SG-1 fans first, and sometimes you definitely come across as having a huge bias in favor of SG-1 over SGA. As someone who is a bigger Atlantis fan than SG-1, it would be nice to provide a more fair and balanced show. What do you think about that? I can't be something I'm not. I think he's absolutely right. We are more SG-1 fans than Atlantis. You think that's, that's a fair observation? Perfect observation. I have no problem with that whatsoever. The only real answer would be, aside from changing our personality, bring someone in who is an Atlantis fan. But mm-hmm. there's a reason that Tammy only comes in once in a while. And it's not because she's more of an Atlantis fan. I don't know the answer to that. It's because it's harder to juggle three balls. That's not to say, in the least, that we are not fans of Atlantis. I mean, we very much are. It's one of my favorite sci-fi shows, just because it happens to be a, a Stargate franchise series. Oh, yeah. And I will, th- I will say here that I think there is a drawback to our podcasts, and that is you and I are very like-minded. I think, yes. frankly, you and I are too like-minded. I think that that's more significant in terms of the quality of this podcast and the fact that we're, we're both bigger fans of SG-1 than we are of Atlantis, is that you and I tend to agree on most everything when it comes to Stargate. Right, and I think that it would make for a much more interesting show if you and I weren't always backing a piece of the audience into a corner. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of what we tend to do. Yeah, try to balance that a little by making this a really a really listener focused podcast. We play virtually every voicemail that we get, and we try to include a lot of of uh, listener mail every single time. That's our attempt to address the the imbalance a little bit. And we do have topics on the docket that Darren and I kind of differ in our opinions about, namely spoilers. That's going to be a discussion. And uh, but even then, the, those the, our opinions are, on that are beginning to converge. Yeah, I think that we'll find once we get to our, our spoiler podcast discussion of the concept of spoilers that we're a little bit closer than we were a couple years ago, mm-hmm. for sure. Because we used to fight like cats and dogs about that. That's it what we need mess. to do. We need to spend our off hours coming up with things that we don't agree on. How about that? <laughs> oh gosh. Let's try and get into a fight and then record it. I think it was it was great for us to start with Atlantis, to start with episode commentary week by week for the newest Atlantis stuff. And it's only been since the hiatus started and, and Atlantis concluded that we've really talked about SG-1 specifically. And in defense of us, I think it's fair to say that people have heard much more criticisms on Atlantis than SG-1 because we have talked about much more Atlantis than we have SG-1. A lot of it has to do with that. And because Atlantis is the new thing right now, or newer than SG-1. There are a lot of things about SG-1 that I take issue with to this day. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I I kind of treat the earlier seasons as precious little darlings and the later seasons as that was okay. As we've said in the past, it's because they're the, these are the years where we fell in love with the show, where we became exactly. Stargate fans in seasons one and two and three and four. As we go through our Stargate history series of podcasts, uh, we're coming up on uh, season two next week, 
you know, once once we get into it, I really hope that we talk about those elements of SG-1 that we didn't like. Red Hook's second criticism is that uh, he says, uh, you guys start making a big criticism against the writers, producers, but then sugarcoat the comment seemingly so as not to upset the people who give you lots of interviews. Now, I know this is more a fan site than a news or critique site, but it detracts from an objective review, in my opinion. What do you think about that? I think that is a perfectly fair criticism. Gay mm-hmm. World has done a lot of interviews. I myself have done 99 interviews by myself. Wowzers. Uh, and I'd like to say right here, I don't think we've ever really said this before, GateWorld puts out a lot of requests for interviews. At the beginning, it was really kind of 50-50. Nowadays, it's uh, it's kind of um, eight times out of ten, we'll get who we want. 50-50 people would, would turn us down or, or accept? Or not reply at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're kind of eight out of ten, which I think is excellent. It speaks to, I think, the quality of the site. But it's I think it's important to, to note that uh, in saying that, you know, we don't... It isn't always up to us who we get. You know, a couple people every once in a while come along and say, I'll do, I'd like to do an interview with you. A couple other people kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink at me, and it's, it's, the, it's the indication there that they'd like to talk to us, so I go out of my way to get them um, because they're interested. And when someone is interested, that means that they'll, be, um, that they'll be engaged. It's important that Darren and I get engaged. I, there are certainly interviews you can listen to mine, certainly, where I wasn't 100% engaged. Yeah, sugarcoating comments. When we talk about episodes and, and talk about uh, you know the guys who we know personally, and some of them I think we've considered friends who yes. have written these episodes, it's, I see it when we record these podcasts. I see that, that I kind of you know, start a, a, a pretty serious criticism. And I try to find a way to make that criticism and then to pull back so that the criticism doesn't spill over onto onto the writer. Right. Um, yeah. It, and it's a, it's a hard line to walk, the, the, the line that we walk, because we are not journalists exclusively. We are fans as well. And when we do meet these people, we can't say, you know, you suck. I hate it when you did this. Well, yeah, we we also on the on the website, not just the podcast. We occasionally receive criticism over the sorts of news that we publish and the way that we go about it, and the fact that, you know, we've been accused of not asking the producers hard questions uh, by a lot of fans that are upset. And the honest truth is, that's not first of all, that's as a as a fan site, that's that's not what we're about. We're not a hard news site. We're an entertainment site and a site of two guys who really enjoy this, who are having fun with it. And then on the other hand, you know, when we when we get a chance to talk to the producers, I should also say, a lot of times I I think we really do ask hard questions, but either the the producers are not willing to give us an answer on the record. They dodge it, or they dodge it, or you know. I think that that a lot of those questions that we've asked to Brad and Rob in the past, I think we've asked in a rather tactful way, a way that uh, a lot of fans who are upset about a character being written off, for example, would not want us to be quite so tactful. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we go, we're not going to be abrasive, and, and when we comment on episodes uh, and things that we didn't necessarily care for on the show, yeah. we're going to try and do it tactfully and respectfully yeah. and not be abrasive about it. And not to be like, nanny, nanny, but there's, there are a lot of times where we ask those hard questions a lot of times in the past, and they say, I'll tell you that one off the record, you know, yeah. and that's a really great privilege. It's too bad that we can't share it with everyone, but most of the time, 
it's something really in the scheme of things superfluous and it's just kind of like ah this is why this happened Mm -hmm. subtext matters immensely and what was going on at that time matters immensely so you know that's just how it is um but we aren't we can't be a hard news site because in my opinion you can't really get hard news out of entertainment journalism if we were tv guide or entertainment weekly or one of the big guys i think that our coverage would be different if we were covering lots and lots of different shows, you know, you can afford to piss off the producers of of Grey's Anatomy when you're covering a hundred other shows. This yeah. is a this is a Stargate fan site and a Stargate fan podcast. And, you know, yeah. if we damage our relationship with the powers that be for Stargate, we're pretty much done. Not to say that we aren't willing to stand up for ourselves. Oh yeah. Uh, which we certainly have in the past, but you know, it when when someone gets irritated at us about something, we're idiots if we don't step back and ask ourselves, did we really do something wrong here, or is this person just being a butt? Mm. I appreciate Red Hook's critique, though, and um, I do too. I think that that it's like you said, it's always a, a fine line to walk, and I hope that our readers and our listeners continue to pay attention and keep us accountable. Shall we listen to another voicemail? I'm all ears. Hey, this is Dan from. Clearfield, Utah. I was uh, calling in regards to Stargate World for open mic night. I was just wondering what you guys' feeling was on how it was delayed or if you guys were even uh, interested. I'm so excited about it that I started my own guild just uh, dedicated to Stargate fans on World of Warcraft. So Dan asks about uh, Stargate Worlds, and it sounds from the voicemail like maybe Dan doesn't know that you used to work for Stargate Worlds. I um, signed an NDA when I joined the company. I specifically cannot speak to this, but uh, Darren, I cannot stop you. Sure. You can answer Dan's second question, which is, are you interested in this game? Do you think it's going to be cool, Uh, presuming it does make it to market? Are you excited about playing it? I can honestly say that the day that this game becomes available, I will be first in line to get it, mm-hmm. the very first copy. Not because my name is in the credits, but because I know that it's going to be kick-ass. It really looks cool, and I mean, we've kind of been when been wanting a good Stargate game for years and years, and there was at least one major aborted attempt at a Stargate game that just never happened. Yep before yep. Stargate Worlds went into production. And, and a uh, lot of fans are still licking their wounds over that one, so yeah. we all need a good game for Stargate. Yeah, and not just because I've heard, you know, you worked at the company for, for somewhere between a year and a half and two years, I think, and so I heard every week, I heard, oh, I saw this and this was awesome, and, and oh, just wait until you see what they're doing with this element of the game, and it's just, it's so cool, and it's it's going to Not live to up to everyone's... Not to say that I divulged everyone's... any secrets. No, no, just hint, hinting at, uh, at what a great job the, the production team yeah. was doing that, that made me want to see. And, um, boy, I really hope it makes it, it, makes it out. Um, feelings on its delay, Dan asks about. I'm really nervous at uh, where it is right now. The last news we heard was that uh, Stargate World's production company basically ran out of money. And uh, the latest news out uh, in the last week or two was that the company's now uh, facing a lawsuit uh, for failure to pay its bills. And uh, I don't know what that's about. Obviously, only people inside the company know what that's about. But uh, 
like every other Stargate fan out there who's anxiously awaiting this awesome game, I am I'm nervous that it's not going to make it to market. It seems like somebody's got to step up and give them the money to finish the game. And in this economic climate, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm an eternal optimist, so I hope it's it's going to make it before the end of the year. I don't know about anyone else, but my disposable income is almost shot to hell. So the MMOs that I do play, uh, I'm not currently playing any. When Stargate Worlds comes out, I will cut features out of my cell phone to play the game. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's just as much as getting the game out and finished into market is, I think, that, that issue that it's a subscription game. And in the current economic climate, I mean, how many Stargate fans are going to have 15 bucks a month regularly? They're and willing will it be to enough Stargate to put into fans this. to support the game. Yeah, because it's not just getting it to market. There's a whole business model that sustains it month to month and year to year after that. So, I think we gotta keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. We have uh, a few really interesting questions by Ramses eight one eight. What's the first one? Is there a reason why there is no section on the website with links to the various online video players such as Hulu, with episodes of Stargate either in parts or full? Why does GateWorld not link to full episodes of Stargate to watch online? Well, the short answer is that those episodes have only been available to watch online free and legally for and a few weeks. So that's actually a really good idea. Let us get around to it then. <laughs> I, I have been busy, a busy beaver, and I think this, this is a really good idea, and we should add some links. To be fair, it's, it's another ball to keep up in the air for us because it's like the, it's gonna yeah. be like the tv episodes especially section. because they're pulling those down we can do a season at a time but we've got to then monitor when they come down and then go and remove all those links it's more work but i think it's worth it also what do you think about doing a flashback episode or movie showing us the evolution of the four great races from stargate we don't really know about them beyond what we have heard in snippets do an ancient Nox furling Asgard-centric episode or movie. I don't know how you would work this in with the SG-1 team or the Atlantis team. I think you'd need a, a really great story idea. Because you mm -hmm. can't just do a flashback movie that doesn't include any of our characters unless you've set up something like an anthology series like Outer Limits. Yeah, and Rob has said he's not a fan of prequels. That's right. So. Yeah. What this makes me recognize about Stargate is that... They love throwing balls up in the air and not necessarily catching them, not necessarily ever going back and using them. They like having lots of pieces that they can play with if it, if it fits with a good story idea. But the writers of the show f do not feel beholden to go back and revisit those pieces and fill them all out like Lost. When something is introduced in Lost, you can be pretty well sure that sometime by the end of the series, it's going to be revisited and it's going to be paid off. Here's the last question of the night. Do we get any indication in either series as to why there are so few Earth-level, or I would insert into here uh, more advanced, uh, races in existence? And I think he's talking about both the Milky Way Galaxy and the Pegasus Galaxy. He says they make mention of the fact that the Gould enslave their worlds and the Wraith eat them, and that Earth developed because the gate was buried, uh, and the Janai were able to become a little more advanced by hiding their civilization underground. Um, but galaxies are huge, so it makes sense that there would be other planets at a technology level as ours. 
I think the explanation is a bit more evident in Atlantis in that it's been explicitly said from the first season that the Wraith deliberately prevent civilizations from reaching a certain technological level. They come along and cull them. And in uh, season three of SG-1, fair game. In, in the treaty, the Asgard Protected Planets Treaty, planets under the treaty cannot advance beyond a certain, a certain point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is because the Gould uh, require that they maintain dominance in the galaxy. And outside of the Asgard Protected Planets Treaty, where it doesn't exist, they go and they, they terrorize and they bombard from orbit and they take people as hosts. And I think, I mean, this is, can be clearly answered with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You can wiki that. And you have the physiological, which is breathing, food, water, reproduction, sleep. And then you have the safety level and the love and belonging level. Darren and I are using laptops right now to talk with one another. But if this economy fails, laptops may be the very last thing on our minds. (laughs) (laughs) Creature comforts. That's exactly right. If you have a force that is terrorizing you, there is no way that you are going to get there. Very similar to the Wraith, we know that before Earth started its gate program, for thousands of years the Gould were keeping civilizations enslaved, and most of the human or humanoid populations that we've encountered were transplanted by the Gould from Earth as slaves, such as the Abadonians were, were taken by Ra to Abydos to mine Naquita. So it makes sense that, that the Gould, at least for those thousands and thousands of years, were, were keeping their slaves down, keeping them from becoming more advanced. Yes, because because I mean to become more advanced is to acquire fire or knowledge, mm. and to acquire knowledge is to rival the gods. Prometheus, yes, the significance behind the name of our first ship. Yeah, then you're really limited to those non-human races that were not transplanted from Earth that the Ghoul did not have anything to do with, uh, with their existence. Were not enslaving like uh, some of the advanced races that we've met have been the Serakin. Mm-hmm. Who actually saved humans from the Gould. Yeah, exactly. Season 6 is Forsaken, and then they came back in Space Race the next year. Interesting ensemble of topics. Yeah, lots of topics this week. Did you have a good time? I did. I'm not sure how coherent we'll be in the end, but uh, I did. Well, I think the open line night should be a little bit less coherent. (laughs) Here's this week's listener question. We're uh, coming up to our third installment next week of our Stargate History series. We're going back and revisiting all our favorites from years gone by. We did the Stargate movie, we did SG-1 Season 1, and now we're up to Season 2. So, what is your favorite episode from Season 2 of Stargate SG-1, and why do you like it so much? Basically the same question that we asked for Season 1, so... Can you guess what the question will be for Season 3? I don't want to say. Maybe I'll mix it up. Maybe I'll hey. fool you. So that'll be next week's topic on our March 31st show. And then David and I are heading off to Vancouver, British Columbia for the Stargate Mecca celebration. It'll be cold, yes. it'll be windy. and Probably we'll, rainy. <laughs> we'll visit the producers at Bridge Studios and we'll spend several days at the convention, big creation convention at the Hilton Vancouver Metrotown. And that is April 2nd through 5th, Thursday yeah. through Sunday. And we'll be uh, recording the podcast from Vancouver. 
So we'll do something different. We'll bring in some more people. We'll have a good time. We'll talk about this and that. Maybe play some clips of uh, the goodies that we've been recording all during the week. It's a very busy week. It's very fun. And uh, that's our April 7th show, if we can get it up. And then after that show on April 14th, this is an interesting topic, uh, perceptions of science fiction fans. How normal people view us? You want to say anything more about that? This is another podcast idea that I tossed up. I remember a friend of mine iterating to me how he taught a class once uh, in college, and this kid would always come in in a Star Trek uniform and wearing pointed ears, and he would always be ridiculed by um, his classmates. And he would never, he could never understand why he was being ridiculed. He yeah. thought that wearing a uniform and a, and pointed ears were socially okay. Was a perfectly normal thing to do. In other words, the kid didn't have a clue. Yeah. You know, he was late teens, early twenties, and I would like to discuss the perception of uh, sci-fi fans um, in general and specifically different different types of fans. Um, in that in uh, that show, there is a definite stigma. When we go next week to the convention, you know, if I pose the question, "Are we the oddballs in our families?" Almost everyone raises their hand. Mm-hmm. So for, we are we are perceived as usually the the one that's a horse of a different color in in whatever job that we work at, in whatever culture we are with. We are generally perceived as the ones who are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to discuss that. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Well, everybody, that's our show for this week. Thanks once again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the open line night and the show about everything. And in this episode, we also played that new 30-second teaser for Stargate Universe. Head over to GateWorld.net, and you can watch it in all its glory. And for links to everything else that we talked about today, you can also look for episode number 35, show notes at GateWorld.net. You can give us a call on the hotline, tell us what you think of the show, suggest a topic, 616-712-1647. You can leave us a uh, response on the podcast feedback thread or post a review on iTunes or other podcast catchers. Thanks to everybody who called the voicemail line this week. We got a half a dozen really great messages and I thought that it really helped fill out the show. Well, we'll come back next week with some notes, with some structure. We'll talk about season two. This is one of my favorite seasons. I'm really excited about talking about the fifth race. We'll see you right back here next week from Gate World. This is Darren. This is David. And you've been listening to the Gate World Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>